Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. I'm going to run solo with the news portion uh, of this week. After the break, I'm going to check in with Phil, and we're going to do sort of a little coaching clinic about adding 20 pounds to your squat in a single day. Uh, we've done similar episodes as to whether or not that's possible with deadlift and bench. So we're going to talk about the squat, um, whether you're a raw or equipped lifter, a high bar or a low bar squatter. Uh, we'll just have some discussions there. Uh, it's a weird episode this week, partly because of an internet outage. And in fact, the coaching clinic part that that you'll hear after the break the mid-show break, was done uh, in a restaurant <laughs> from my perspective. So I'm just kind of throwing random questions at Phil, but I think there's some nice gold nuggets to be obtained out of that. But but I digress. Let's get to some news that I think will interest uh, sports nutrition enthusiasts and lifters. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Okay, so first I owe everyone uh, a little bit of information. We were discussing a couple of weeks ago the caffeine content of espresso beans, like uh, coffee beans uh, that you can just simply eat and not brew and drink. So I pulled up some information from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. They have a food data central. Uh, so here it is for uh, candies, dark chocolate coated coffee beans. Uh, first off, the caffeine content of coffee beans looks like it's 5 to 10 milligrams per little bean. So about 5 for the Arabica beans or 10 milligrams for the stronger uh, Robusta beans. But there's a couple of other information tidbits here. One serving, according to the feds, is 28 pieces. Uh, if you eat 28 pieces, uh, if I just jump to the end, 336 milligrams of caffeine. So that's that's quite a bit. Uh, a typical small-ish cup of coffee has about 100 so, of course, a, a grande from Starbucks or something bigger would have more. So 336 is a good whopping dose, and that sort of is in line with what I was suggesting, that you're actually consuming the entirety of the bean, uh, as opposed with coffee grounds. Obviously, there's some left in the basket in your brewer and that sort of thing. Uh, other information here, 216 kcal uh, calories uh, in that one serving of 28 pieces, three protein, if you care, uh, 12 grams of fat, 
largely I think that's the, the dark chocolate on there, but not entirely. There is some lipid in coffee beans. Uh, 24 grams of carbohydrate, and that's almost certainly the sugar from the chocolate. Um, interestingly, 3 grams of fiber. Uh, there's even some calcium, 40 milligrams, not a lot, but a little bit of calcium. But again, the, the kicker is 336 milligrams of caffeine in a single 28-piece serving of uh, dark chocolate-coated coffee beans. So there you have it, some information uh, when it comes to you know, eating a handful of that on the way to the gym. What else do we have here? Oh, um, this is not brand new. It's from uh, Journal of Physiology in 2019. I think there was a correction or an erratum or something. It's a 2018 originally uh, paper from Journal of Physiology by Mayette Cote and colleagues. M-Y-E-T-T-E dash C-O-T-E. Mayette Cote, I think. In any case, this is neat. And I think uh, Dr. Nelson would be interested in this. Prior ingestion of exogenous ketone monoester, so ketone supplement, attenuates the glycemic response to an oral glucose tolerance test in healthy young individuals. And this caught my eye because of the healthy young individual thing. This is what we've been trying to uh, impact through coffee, consuming uh, via instant coffee before a carbohydrate challenge. And they kind of did something very similar, but with uh, a ketone supplement. So it says the recent development of exogenous, right, just meaning, you know, not internally created, ketone supplements allows direct testing of the metabolic effects of elevated blood ketones without the confounding influence of widespread metabolic changes and prolonged fasting. Because, again, before these supplements hit the market, the only way to get into ketosis would be to, you know, go on a 50 gram per day or less, typically, uh, carb diet uh, for day in and day out. In any case, um, it did, in fact, uh, the prior ingestion, 30 minutes before the, the carbohydrate challenge, reduced the glycemic response. Uh, their blood sugars ran a little bit lower, and that's, that suggests something good. And it says markers of insulin sensitivity were enhanced without affecting insulin secretion. So it's not like these um, – it's beta-hydroxybutyrate, essentially, uh, as I'm understanding this. Uh, not it's not just that it made you your pancreas secrete more insulin and drive the glucose in, but you're you're actually more sensitive to the insulin that you had. Uh, Twenty healthy participants, ten men and ten women. So this isn't a sexist kind of thing. Aged between eighteen and thirty-five years. That's very similar again to what we're doing with coffee and uh, glucose tolerance tests. Um, but it was also a crossover study. So. That's very interesting too, right? Because they either got the, it's 0.45 milliliters per kg of their body weight of the ketone monoester or a placebo. Again, 30 minutes before they had this carb challenge. The the glucose tolerance test is typical. It's a 75 gram oral glucose tolerance test. Actually, what we do with coffee is only 50. Uh, and we have some reasoning for that. But you know, glucose challenges are usually 50, 75, or 100 grams. And then we look at what happens. Does your blood sugar spike? How quickly does it come back down over two hours? Um, the ketone monoester supplement acutely raised uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate uh, in the bloodstream within 30 minutes. It remained elevated throughout. And indeed, it significantly decreased the glucose area under the curve by 16%. So some of what we were looking at, depending on how we're analyzing it, was looking at uh, that certain types of coffee may be decreasing it 
about that same amount, which is interesting. And again, uh, I'm interested in more of the antioxidant effects of coffee, the chlorogenic acid and all that. But here again with the with the uh, ketone uh, supplement, 16% lower area under the curve. Uh, and it says at the same time, improved oral glucose insulin sensitivity index by 11%. So we've been saying this for a couple of years now on the show. I think Mike and I, uh, that um, these the weirdness of being able to get into supplemental ketosis when your you know, background insulin and blood glucose and things like that are not out of whack from prolonged fasting and you know, low carbohydrate intakes and stuff like that. It, it's just going to present this whole new avenue, right? Is it the ketone itself that's having an effect uh, as opposed to all the other sweeping changes that might come from a restrictive diet? So in this case, yes, it does look like there is something sort of um, nutraceutical, if you will, uh, as far as handling uh, carbohydrates in the diet. Again, 30 minutes before having some of this uh, ketone monoester. So interesting stuff. This next piece will interest you if you eat a lot of protein and fiber. I mean, I can tell you I sure did when I would uh, diet. And even now, if I want to cut some weight, fiber is very satiating uh, and filling. uh, Protein and fiber, right? Both uh, satiating filling. In any case, it says, uh, this is by Tiffany Dazet. D-A-Z-E-T, through lab roots, feeling bloated, a high-fiber, protein-rich diet may be to blame. Now, here's my two cents out of the gate. I think this title should be a high-fiber, plant-protein-rich diet may be to blame. Uh, But you'll see what I mean. A new study from John Hopkins examined why some high-fiber diets can lead to bloating. Uh, According to the new research, those who eat High-fiber diets rich in protein versus those that are carbohydrate-rich instead of so protein-rich are more likely to experience bloating. Uh, They looked at 164 participants who ate a heart-healthy, high-fiber diet rich in plant protein. Um, And these people were 40% more likely to experience bloating than those in the carb-rich diet. Uh, These results were published in, let's see, Clinical and Translational Gastroenterology. Uh, Participants were provided with three versions of a high-fiber diet uh, that differed in carbohydrate, protein, and unsaturated fat content. Uh, Each diet lasted six weeks with a two- to four-week washout in between. So again, the results suggested that bloating went from 18% before the diets up to 33% uh, on the plant protein rich diets uh, according to one of the senior authors noel uh, muller or mueller uh, it's possible that in this study the protein rich version of the diet caused more bloating because it caused more of a healthy shift in the composition of the microbiome of course in the gut um she notes that the protein in this version of the high fiber diet included beans legumes and nuts. Well, if your protein source is beans, yes, that's going to make you a little bit gassy. The The gut microbiome is going to get a hold of that fiber and metabolize it. And part of the side effects, of course, is gas. So uh, I'm not sure, again, that this is going to necessarily apply if you're eating a high fiber uh, meat protein diet, right? Or animal protein diet, which is something that I think, a, frankly, a lot of us would do more often. Not that I wouldn't consume beans and nuts and, and, and you know, legumes and things like that. That's great. 
Um, but again, I think the the title might have been a little misleading on that one, but it still could apply, right? So the combination of fi- of adding protein to a high fiber diet might actually make you more gassy. So if you've been struggling with gassiness, uh, there you go. I mean, the article does cite that 20% of the U.S. adult population suffers from bloating. And people who exercise intensely, uh, it may be even more as far as some of the you know intestinal um, upset kind of thing. So interesting stuff on high-fiber uh, plant-protein-rich diets. And one more. Uh, this is an issue that doesn't seem to go away. Uh, this is from Annie Lennon, uh, also through uh, the sort of news catcher lab roots. Uh, eating eggs every day, not linked to heart disease. So those of you who have been watching sports nutrition or just interested in this kind of stuff uh, over the years, this has swung back and forth wildly from people saying that, oh, my gosh, you know, X number of eggs is like smoking so many cigarettes. I mean, they really over-exaggerated some of this stuff to try to make a point. Um, of course, it's the cholesterol content in the eggs that uh, was a concern, but a lot of the the federal guidelines have been moving away. In fact, in the U.S., we've been catching up with Canada and some other places where they're trying to you know emphasize that dietary cholesterol, like you might get from an egg yolk, um, doesn't impact your blood cholesterol as much as, let's say, saturated fat diets or other things might. So... It says the common controversy over whether eating eggs is bad for your heart may finally have been dissolved thanks to new findings from scientists at McMaster University uh, up in Ontario. Uh, Essentially, the guidelines until now have usually assigned limits to the number of eggs to be consumed per week to try to prevent what was assumed as the the negative effects of cholesterol. Um, For their study, though, and again, um, from McMaster and Hamilton Health Sciences, Researchers analyzed three international studies that were conducted. Uh, One study examined the egg consumption of 146,011 people. Uh, So over 146,000 people from 21 countries. Uh, And then they also included in their analysis studies um, that looked at 31,544 individuals with vascular disease. So what did they find? Essentially no association between egg consumption and cardiovascular health indicators. And this really caught my eye. Even even when it comes to the the riskiness in people with some cardiovascular disease or, uh, you know, prior problems, uh, that really surprises me. Um, Not so much that because eggs are bad, but these are people that would be presumably more vulnerable, right, to blood lipid changes. But again, roughly one egg per day uh, neither increases nor affects uh, one's risk of uh, blood lipid am- abnormalities as far as cardiovascular disease or all-cause mortality. And again, uh, findings remained even when patients had a history of cardiovascular disease or diabetes. Wow. So, yeah, this is sort of putting it to bed. Uh, the researchers highlighted that their findings contradict some of the earlier studies, basically because, um, again, earlier studies that would restrict suggest restricting eggs because they didn't have the sample size or the diversity of what they looked at here huge numbers of subjects across many countries uh, according to the study's principal investigator salim yusuf y-u-s-u-f uh, it's due the earlier stuff was due to insufficient sample sizes alongside a limited demographic sample usually considered considering only people from high-income countries so 
interesting stuff there uh, from Canada and through the, the journalist Annie Lennon. Uh, eggs not linked to heart disease. Now, this is good news, especially if you're on a, a ketogenic diet or even if you're not. I mean, typical bodybuilder food, right, is, you know, eggs. Um, throughout the years, I admit I would not eat all whole eggs. I would have sort of a mix, some, some just egg whites, a couple of whole eggs thrown in there. Um, I do think you have to think about the saturated fat content in the egg yolks or just the fat content in its calories, period, I suppose. But uh, sort of vindication here in a very large, very broad study uh, as far as the healthiness of eggs. All right, so that's it for the news. We're going to go to break. When we come back, mini coaching clinic uh, with Coach Phil, and he's going to give us some insights uh, about how he might help someone uh, put 20 pounds on their squat in a single day. So we'll be back. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. (laughs) 
like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, we're back from the break. And um, I just wanted to check in with Phil. We have done some coaching series in the past about uh, adding 20 pounds to a lift, just do coaching techniques in a single day. And we've covered bench press and deadlift, but never the squat. So let's talk about that, Phil. Like, what's, what comes to mind as far as, as that sort of thing? Uh, coaching tips. Well, if we're going to add 20 pounds on somebody's squat in one day, the two, one of two things is going to have to happen. Um, they're going to have to have a glaring form issue that we can easily fix. Or another one is just uh, a non-confident lifter that you can then talk up and get their head behind them so, and just make them believe that, oh, man, you got this. You know? yeah. So somebody yeah. that's very tentative in their lifting and just making them realize that, man, if you just try a little harder, you got this. So, um, God, I'd say the most usual form issues are people losing their upper back. That happens a lot. So if you, if you can get that fixed just through cueing, um, uh, tied into that is like, I'm not a big fan of looking down at the floor when you squat and things like that. So, uh, if we have a, if we have glaring form issues, that's number one that we can fix. And then, like I said, the, the next one would be just getting somebody on their own side. So uh, we're not gonna. I can't put you through a ton of volume and literally make you twenty pounds stronger. Uh, I just we're gonna make you realize what you have through form tweaks and you know mental cueing and maybe a little psyching up. And the, the good thing is, is generally if somebody comes to my place, they they're coming there with. They're hyped up anyways because it's like a destination usually for these people. So they're like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and tear shit up. And, ah. So they're already jacked up and you know, and good to go. So that generally a, a PR happens anyways for the first time there. But. Well, let me ask you, uh, because I've seen you get sort of flat against the bar, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, with, with the idea of trying to control the resistance arm. You mm-hmm. know, like, of course, like a, a low low bar squat is going to be – place a lot of the load more on your your glutes and you know your yep. posterior and that kind of stuff whereas a higher bar squat's going to push things more to your your knees and all that yep. sort of stuff but um when you squat specifically because it always seems to me like you you almost try to keep your knees wide and get as, as flat against the bar so you're not you know you're not allowing any extra resistance to come from the you know, like the horizontal line, if you were to look from yeah. the side, the horizontal distance between the bar and your actual, like, fulcrums of movement. Yes. Um, do you tend to do that fairly flatly just because of the way you're built, or is that a good idea for everybody? No, I think that's – we want to minimize that as much as we can for your body type, um, if that makes sense. You know, we don't want to – we don't want you folding like an accordion. The closer we can keep things to the center of gravity – the lighter things are going to be. Uh, if, if you if people are familiar with like lever arms and things like that, the 
yep. the longer a lever arm is, that it gets multiplied many times. <clears throat> you know, the further it goes out. So somebody exactly. with long legs and long limbs. So, yeah, we definitely want to maximize that for for how somebody's built. And that's a that's a case of man. I maybe we don't get you a twenty pound PR the first time you come because you're just totally squatting wrong for your body type, and you have been for a long time. And oh. we change that, and those are the type of changes where it's like that's not going to show up today because we just threw out the baby with the bathwater and started over. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I see. And so you give it a few months, and you're going to start seeing big PRs type of thing. So I mean, there are times where it's just like, sorry, bro, PR's not in the cards today. We're what you were doing was all wrong. We're fixing it all. So we're going to have to take a couple steps back to take 10 steps forward type of deal. Right. Yeah. I saw a kid in the gym months ago and he basically, you know, he was one of those kind of limbo type guys. I don't know, like poor calf and Achilles flexibility or whatever it was. And he's like, you know, I'm just, I'm so happy that I can even squat uh, two, two and a quarter now because I've had to work back up because what I was doing before I could, I could actually use more weight, but I was going nowhere with that. You know what I mean? Like, with the whole, you know, the kind of person who has to put a board under their heels or worse, you know, mm-hmm. and and he's like, I, I feel like I'm doing it right, and uh, I, I'm willing to take that step back. Yes. You know, so. Yeah. So, um, so there are people, it's not as easy as just getting flat against the bar then. It, there's going to be people that are, if they're a quad dominant lifter, you're going to roll with that. Is that sort of what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, and there's going to be, yeah, there are going to be people that are built for high bar, people that are built for low bar. I'm not, like... I'm not one of those people that believe, oh, he's bar lifting. Everybody's doing low bar. Okay. No, yeah, no, no we're going to do what's what's naturally best for you. Um, so, yeah, there's going to be people that are different. You know, there's going to be people, every one of my lifters is a little bit different depending on how they're built anatomically. You know, usually with the squad, it's more to do with just how you're built from the waist down. So, and okay. then also from the waist up to the shoulders. Nothing to do with your arms, basically. You know, if you've got a really long torso and short legs, we're going to make you as upright as possible because we don't want you bending your torso. Right. Because that's you know, your long, long lever on. So. Exactly. That's, that's kind of, that's what I was trying to articulate before. Cause that's a worst case scenario. Like you said, you're multiplying the weight on that bar because yeah. you've got this long torso leaning way forward. Right? Yeah. So we're going to put you in a high bar position. As we can. We're going to push your knees out of the way and make you sit straight down. So, um, whereas me, I mean, I'm naturally more, I've got a really short torso and long legs. Um, so I try to minimize that as much as I can. The problem is then I have a hip replacement and things like that. So I have to lay off my hips a bit. So, I mean, my, my, the, the style I use is just don't don't mimic it. It's built for me. So yeah, uh, I tell people that, you know, you can't you can't come in and watch me lift. And say, oh, I'm going to do that. No, you weren't ran over and then had hip replacements and then hamstrings. And all the, I have all this stuff that's not normal. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Well, I, I guess that's what I was when I was referring to watching you squat. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I think there are tips that would apply to almost anybody. Like minimize that lever arm, that resistance, yeah. um, and at the same time, yeah, you you've got special anatomical things going on. Yeah, you know, there's some things you just don't want to try and follow. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. like you said, we want to mimic, or we want to limit the movement away from the center of gravity as much as we can, depending on how you're built and what form of squat we're using. Um, we want to stay braced hard. You know, we don't want any power leaks. Um, when I'm talking about power leaks, it's like when you, if, if, if you start pushing the bar, hips and shoulders should move in the same speed as the bar. 
Now, if, if your hips move and your bar doesn't move, then we've got a power leak. Something within you is not holding its ground uh, to push the bar. So okay, if, yeah. if, if there's any movement of your body without the bar moving, that's wasted energy. Um, and it's also usually pushing you into a disadvantageous position. It's probably pushing you to a point where you're creating a longer lever arm because you just shot your hips up and now you're out in front. So okay. we're looking for simple things like that. And a lot of cueing, these 20-pound PRs in, in one day, that's a lot of it can be fixed with that type of stuff. Um, getting somebody to just push on the bar, um, things like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That it, Anything you'd be doing that was movement but that didn't move the bar, you're not transferring the force into the bar. Yeah, you're wasting right? movement. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. a lot of times you're do, doing more than that. You're, a lot of times are you not only wasting movement, you're – slowly pushing to a, a worse position so so w when you try to assess how someone's built other than a long torso um what's going to tip you off if they should be a little bit more of a high bar or a low bar squatter uh, it's I, usually it's usually torso length and limb length so okay. femur length so femur length not just limb length and that's what people don't understand is a lot of people they come in and they're like, well, I'm only 5'4". That means I'm a short-limbed lifter. No, that doesn't. It has nothing to do with that. It's limb length comparative to your own body. So, right. <laughs> um, and that's a lot of, yeah, proportion-wise. So I have a lot of people that don't understand. I have, like, Big Brian is, what, 6'3", 6'4", and he's fairly short-limbed lifter. Um, so, and then I have little lifters that are long-limbed. Uh, one of my girls that, that Olympic lifts. She's, I don't know, she's, I don't know how tall it is, just say 5'4", and really long limbs for her size. So um, mm -hmm. it's realizing that. Some people think I'm a short-limbed lifter, so I need to lift like this. And uh, Even I try and get them to realize that, realize their own proportions, and then look at people that are like them. Because most of the time people are not. They're looking at, oh, he's a great squatter. Yeah, he's built a squat. You're not. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Fine to mimic mimic those people that that, that are built like you. Is there any? Um, does muscle mass come into play? Like some people that are huge quad, <laughs> huge quads versus a huge butt, you know that kind of thing, or not? Not so much. Not as important. No, that usually happens because of how they're built. So mm -hmm. usually your short limb limb lifters have big freaking honking quads. That's because they're. I mean, you got a eighteen inch femur versus a twenty eight inch femur. The quads are going to look big, even though there's probably just as much on the other one. It just doesn't go out sideways. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a long muscle belly. So, yeah. uh, no. And then, and then it's also most usually what we need to work on is the opposite of what we're built for. Like if you have a really long back, you know, your, your hip to shoulder ratio is really long, then we need to spend a lot of time bending that thing uh, and making it strong so it will hold up against load. Oh, so yep. and then if you're a really long lifter, we probably need to spend a lot of our assistance work working on those things, bending those big long legs and making them stronger. So we kind of work our weaknesses. We we train our we our form matches our strengths and our assistance work matches our weaknesses. So we're always trying to bring those areas up. So, OK, can you talk a little bit about the assistant work then? I mean, what for for either, you know, somebody who's more of a high bar or a low bar squat or what? Yeah, what, I mean, what, what, Somebody that's built to be more low bar, we're going to probably do a lot more lunges and leg press and things like that. We're going to get more extra leg work in, extra quad work. Uh, 
um, because they're not getting a lot of that, as much of that with the form of squat they use. They're getting a lot more hamstring and glute and things like that. So we're going to try and build up their, their legs. Whereas somebody that, uh, that we're, we're making them high bar squat and they're more like a piston where they just go straight up and down. They're not getting as much, you know, just resistance of shear forces on the back and things like that. So we're going to bend them over at the hip a lot more, have them do kettlebell swings, good mornings, stiff legged deadlifts, things like that stuff. That's going to, you know, more of a, a pure hip hinge move. That gets that the hamstrings into play and things like that. And also, if we can just most usually your high bar squatters type people are they're like blaster dust. They're not grinders, and most low bar people are grinders um, for some reason. So mm-hmm. usually, what I see is somebody most high bar squatters they hit an area and they just boom they get folded. You know their upper back goes and they're done. So we need to make their their whole of their back you know the thoracic strength and stuff like that to where where they can withstand that so and push through it right yeah no i get it i I mean obviously there's there's going to be other factors that are involved in like a one day pr and i don't want to i don't want to get into all the kind of stuff like you know did you sleep well did you get some caffeine in you you know that kind of stuff i'm trying to stick to mostly like the yeah biomechanic stuff of course um so uh, for you personally, what what do you think is most impressive? Do you do you like? Are you more impressed when you see somebody with a wide stance, low bar squat, or do you like the more uh, you know what I consider almost like an Olympic lifter type accordion type? You know, like sometimes I've seen some of these these heroic looking videos from the past where you see this guy in the Olympic Games and he's just. He's just standing straight up out of a really deep hole, yeah. and that just looks really impressive to me. But what what, what impresses you from a high bar or low bar, or does it not, not matter? It, it, it's usually just if it looks good. You can tell, like, there are both styles of squat that look right. Um, like, oh, that's a good-looking squat, you know, and then there are ones that just look wrong. So, but no, I mean, you, you can't deny that a really low back squat shoulder wet stance and just drop to the floor and stood up that's heavy is very impressive i mean there <laughs> you know that takes a lot of strength um whereas your super wide stance maybe not so much i mean but and i don't know there's there's something about that squat that just looks in a narrow stance like high bar not super low bar squat that just looks right it looks like a natural move so i mean i'd probably lean towards that route but um when it comes down to it, it comes down to brass tax and I'm doing my sport is whatever it takes. I'm going to bend the rules in whatever way I can to fit the rules and lift as much yeah. as possible. So, yeah. 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 That's, I, I think when we were talking about like the horizontal distance, looking from the side, you know, from let's say your hip in, you know, your hip as a fulcrum to the bar or your knees to the bar. That's really important stuff because like you said, it multiplies up the actual challenge against you. Why wouldn't you, try to minimize that like somebody might say well that's that's kind of cheating you're trying to reduce the amount of load yeah it's it's a performance lift <laughs> exactly you're trying to do whatever again yeah i mean it's like any other sport you're going to do whatever you can to change your stride length and this and that and running you know it's, yeah, it's efficiency. No yeah efficiency you're going to make your sure. you're going to make yourself as efficient as possible to do the job you're asked to do so right right now um i i know in the past you were talking about your adventures wearing the suit and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
can you talk about that? Do the rules change a little? Like, what would you talk about from what you're picking up with the suit as far as, like, I want to put 20 pounds on my lift. I'm a, I'm a fully equipped lifter. Uh, are there any big boo-boos or mistakes or, or tips that you might give? Well, I'm just – the only thing I've noticed so far is I'm having to change my style of squat. I've been a fairly fast uh, – descent not like super dive bomb but pretty quick into the bottom and then back out to get a good rebound that can come up and bite you in the ass in a suit um okay because it, you you'll just get pushed out of position really fast so with the suit grabbing behind your ass and it'll just push you forward onto your knees so if, you're, if that happened to me uh with like a 750 or whatever the other day um i, I just went into lift mode and went to lift how i normally lift and yeah. it pushed me out on my knees. So it's just taking your, it's more about taking your time. You've got to hit a groove. You know, the groove isn't automatic. Uh, your groove is now, <laughs> there's something external fighting you that you're working with to find this groove. So whereas without, without the suit, it's just, you know, the squat I do a thousand times, I do a thousand times. You know, I just repeat that. But now I've got an external force that's I have to work with to hit that groove. So. Okay, so if someone tends to be a low bar squatter, they're really kind of power squatter, is is what you're saying here, the risks of the suit, is that better or worse for them than somebody who might be a more up and down long torso kind of squatter? No, you know? I think they have a suit now for both of them. So like the suit I built bought is more of a narrow stance. I don't have a super wide stance anymore because of my hips. Um, I've got a narrow stance suit, so more of an upright squatter. So... And then you get the more V-type for your super wide stance squatters. It's a lot more pressure on the hips and things like that. Where where my suit is pressurizing me is like right behind my butt. Um, where I where we bend a lot, <clears throat> you know. So it's forcing my ass back under me as I stand up, type of thing. So on the way down, I have to make sure I'm pushing against that thing, or it's going to push me right out on my knees. So okay, um, I think so it's just it's, if if listeners are like. They're novices when it comes to wearing gear, um, and there's different kinds of suits that are meant for either higher or lower bar squatters. They better consult with somebody who knows what they're doing, right? You could buy the wrong kind of suit and really F yourself. Yeah, for sure. That's why I called like Dave Tate, and I just like, dude, give me what I need because <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm, I'm not an expert in this shit. So, right, right. Um, yeah, I mean that's oh, – with anything in this in this world, I mean – any sport, any job, I mean, you should always reach out to people that are more in the know than you and realize that it's just <laughs> realizing that there are people that know more than you. You know, I've been doing this a long time, but there are there are parts of fitness that there are plenty of people that know a lot more than I do. So I'm going to reach out to them and talk to them. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there anything that we're not talking about as far as things to consider uh form related type things that could put 20 pounds on your on your squat in a day no i mean the only ones i can think of is just bracing i'm um, looking for any power leaks and how you're moving comparative to your body you know i've seen a lot of people that they they literally just fold like an accordion in their squat so if we can get them to to not like for some reason a lot of people just bend way at the hip and they fold over, and it's just getting them to sit down, um, and things like that, um, and to stay tight in the from from your hips up to your shoulders, and making them realize just how tight you need to be 
because a lot of people fail on a squat just because of that. It gets hard in there, and then boom, they get folded um, in their mid-back. So those are the most usual ones. Um, other than yeah. that, it's just getting your head behind you. Like I said, if we can psych you up and make you think that you're stronger than you are, then there's a good chance you're going to make it. So, All right, so this sounds very um... – you know, just for those who are just getting into this, but so the usual suggestion would like if you're teaching a gen pop person to squat would be like, don't just try to accordion fold straight down, but like sit your butt down like you're going to sit in a low chair. Yeah. Is it, it, does that hold for both high bar and low bar squatters, that simple advice? Or yes. not as much? Okay. No, it does. I think it does. Yeah. I am not a fan of, of the whole bend of the hip a bunch and sit way, 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 way back. Now, that comes into play now in a suit and I see why it does because literally as I sit down I have to make sure I'm pushing back against that suit <laughs> um, if you're a raw lifter be it high bar or low bar you just need to sit your ass down and the, the, just drive your knees out to the side and sit straight down because everything else is going to take care of itself your body's not going to move to a place where the bar's way out in front of your toes or the bar's way behind your feet you'll fall over your body's going to move naturally how it needs to if you just do a few simple things. So it's just sit down, drive knees out, brace your core hard, and your body is going to move into a position where everything's naturally in line with your center of gravity. Um, if not, you're going to feel off balance, and you will make the adjustment. So, uh, Right. Now you throw the suit in the picture, and yeah, I see now, have, having worn one now for a month and whatever, uh, where that comes from, the box squats, where it's like back, 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 back. They're pushing against the suit big time. And if you're not pushing against that suit, you're getting pushed on your knees, and that's a bad position to be in. So Right. But, you know, the, flips, the flip side of that would be that if you weren't in a suit, if you tried to mimic what you're learning right now and you didn't have on a suit, you'd fall over backwards, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'd, or, or I'd just fold a lot, a lot more than I need to. And you see that with some people starting out, like they're, they, they think, okay, I need to squat lower. That means the bar needs to go lower. So they fold at the hip and their ass is still high. It's like, yeah, okay, technically the bar's moving, but you're not squatting any lower. And it's making them realize that the, 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 we just want to get the hips down to parallel as, as easily as we can. So with as little bar movement as we can, we want to minimize the how far the bar moves as much as possible. So the more now upright good we can stay, you know, the more upright we can stay and the faster we can get our ass down to the height of our knee, the better. So no matter if you're low bar or high bar, we want to limit how far that bar moves. So um, right. it's, it's, it's just drive your knees out, sit straight down right between your knees. I try and put my belly button right between my legs. So, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. stand right back up. So, Okay. Well, that's that's good stuff, everybody. We're uh, actually I'm I'm recording from a, a restaurant here. Mike Mike Nelson records from the road all the time, but I don't have a good setup for this, so we're just making it happen here today. But well, that's good. I think there's some gold nuggets there as far yeah. as you know how far the bar travels. Uh, thinking about things like these lever arms, these resistance arms from the actual um, weight itself, from the bar itself. Um, identifying if you're a high or a low bar squatter. Uh, even the equipped versus non-equipped stuff. So, yeah. hopefully, hopefully there's something there for everybody. Yeah, if um, not, I mean, if people have questions, they can always go on the Facebook page, and we can go in more in depth. So, oh, good call. Yep, yep. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Phil, and uh, I guess we'll see everybody next time. Yep.
Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.